So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been fooled by something? You don't have to just, I'm not asking you to tell what it is, but have you ever been fooled by something? Someone or, or a movie plot or a book plot? Or, or Have you ever been fooled by just kind of a little nod of your head? Okay, lots of us have, and, and some are not willing to admit it. I understand that, so that's okay too. But uh, has anybody here, have you ever fooled yourself? <laughs> Does that ever happen? You fool yourself? Well, according to allocation.com, there are four ways that you and I fool ourselves. Let me run through them very quickly. The first is called cognitive dissonance. Now, I say that simply to make you think I'm smart, but I really don't know exactly what that means except for the definition online says this. Cognitive dissonance is the inconsistent thoughts or attitudes relating to behavioral decisions. Now you understand. It goes something like this is the illustration. Your mind says that you're on a diet so you can't have ice cream, but some other part of you says it's completely fine to go to cookout and get two milkshakes and drink them at the same time. That's cognitive dissonance. Your mind says one thing, but you fool yourself another way. The second way we fool ourselves is called confirmation bias. And what that means is it's a tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of existing beliefs. In other words, you already believe something. You know what you believe, so you're looking for evidence. For example... You see the latest Coca-Cola commercial on TV, and it confirms your, your thoughts that Coca-Cola is the wonder drug of all wonder drugs. Amen? No? Okay. That Coke. Okay. The third way that we fool ourselves is by what's called projection. Projection says that we, uh, uh, we attribute undesired thoughts, feelings, or impulses onto another person who does not have that quality, but we project our feelings onto them. For example, the grumpy person who's always criticizing somebody else is really just somebody who themselves is unhappy, but they're projecting that onto others. Then fourthly is rationalization. We fool ourselves through what's called rationalization, which means this, offering a different explanation for perceptions or behaviors in the face of a changing reality. Here's the example. Let's say you're dating someone and they're Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. Miss Right, not Mrs., but Miss Right. You're dating somebody and it's Mr. Right. He's, he checks off all the boxes. He's the man of your dreams. You see yourself marrying him and all of a sudden he breaks up with you. And your response is to say, well, I always knew he was a loser. <laughs> That's rationalization. Today, we're going to talk about a church that was fooling itself. Let's stand together. A church that was fooling itself. We all know that it's possible to get one over on somebody or to get one over on other people, but here's a church in the book of Revelation chapter 3 that was fooling itself about being a good, strong, healthy church. If you have been here the last several weeks, we're looking at a series of seven churches that are talked about in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, the last book of the Bible. And Jesus is, 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 is examining these churches and he's giving a report. He's giving a grade for each of these churches. Not a letter grade, but he's giving his own response back to these churches. And so now today, the seventh and final of those churches is a church in a place called Laodicea. And the church in Laodicea is a church of self-deception. Because this church was fooling itself. I want you to listen to the words as I read them for you. Out of Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse number 14, it says this. 
And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. How in the world can a church have such a high opinion of itself and Jesus have such a low opinion of that church? They were fooling themselves. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for the church that has the, the mission to take the gospel of Jesus Christ around the corner, across town, to different parts of our nation, to different nations around the world. Thank you for the church that is the presence and the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the church, because it is the church through which I heard the gospel and responded and became a follower of Christ. And not just me, but many in this room. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the church, because that's where your, your word is taught and your word is preached. That's where missions begin and, and, they, and they gravitate out from the church. Thank you for the church where fellowship of believers takes place. Thank you for the church where we have vacation Bible school and camps and we have connect groups and Awana programs. Thank you for the church because your presence is here through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the church because you've given us the great commission to go and take the gospel to the whole world. You've given us the great commandment to love you above all else and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us as the church to be your church. May your presence be in this place and among us. Just as you walked among the seven churches there in Asia Minor in Revelation 2 and 3, you're still walking among the churches today. May we recognize your presence. May we listen to your voice. May we respond obediently, submissively, and accordingly. May we not be guilty of fooling ourselves into thinking that we are somehow without need and somehow fine just like we are. May we be mindful that you call us to submit to you and follow you in all things and in all ways. Lord Jesus, today, may we humble ourselves and hear your voice and respond to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So, I'm going to create a new term. Can I do that? Will y'all let me do that? Here's the new term. It's called Laodicea. Laodicea. And what Laodicea means is, it's a church condition where you think everything is fine, but the condition of your church is really turning the stomach of our Lord Jesus Christ and making Him sick on His stomach. Laodicea. Two friends are talking, and one of them says, Hey, have you heard about City Church downtown? The other says, No. The first guy says, Well, they have Laodicea. <laughs> What's that? Well, they think everything's fine, but they're making Jesus sick on his stomach. Oh, that sounds bad. 
And that would be bad. In fact, not only is it bad, but it could be terminal. It could be one of the reasons why, as I've shared with you week in and week out, it could be one of the reasons why here in America, 1,000 of our Southern Baptist churches this year will close their doors for the last time and go out of business. It could be because of Laodicea or some other spiritual ailment, but it could be that Laodicea not only is the reason behind the closing of doors of churches, but it could be also behind the, the lethargy or the lifelessness in so many churches because they think everything is fine just like it is. And without listening or seeking out or paying attention to what Jesus has to say, they just go on about their merry way like everything is fine. Pastor David Jeremiah says this, The church in Laodicea was lacking in every way. It was a compromising, conceited, and Christless church, and Christ said that it made him sick. Today's church would take note of these words and apply them to us as well. And we would be well advised to apply this counsel to our lives and our churches. It's always better to learn the lesson from somebody else than to have to go through it yourself. You know that, right? It's always better to watch somebody else touch the hot stove. We don't want them to touch the hot stove, but better them than us, right? And in this case, better that this church in Laodicea went through what it went through so that now we, 2,000 years later, with the scriptures in our hand and the spirit in our midst, we can learn and apply these lessons to our church, to Ridgecrest Baptist Church, so that we might not fall into this potentially terminal spiritual illness called Laodicea. Well, let me share with you some lessons we can learn from the church there in Laodicea. The first lesson that I want us to notice is in verse 14, and that is that Jesus is always in authority. Jesus is always in authority. There's never a time when Jesus is not in charge. There's never a time when, when Jesus says to the pastor of a local church, okay, I've been working with you for these few years now. You're on your own. There's never a time that Jesus says that. Jesus is always in charge, and he is always in authority. Listen to what he says there in verse 14. To the angel, or the messenger literally, to the pastor is what many uh, theologians believe. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen. That's why Jesus describes himself. The faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus reveals himself here as the one who is all-seeing and all-knowing and in charge. He's the one who walks not only in this church, but in every church, in our midst. And he's the one who speaks a message to the church. My contention is, looking at the statistics of, of our own Southern Baptist churches, and listen, we're doing better than anybody else, not to pat ourselves on the back, but, you know, we, you may say, well, you know, Southern Baptists are going down a thousand churches a year. We better get out while we can. Well, listen, we're the best thing going as a denomination. And we're still planting churches. We're not losing a net loss of a thousand a year. We're planting churches, too. But we need to be mindful that Jesus has a message for the churches. And, and I believe many churches are not listening to that message. Oh, they're preaching the Bible. They're teaching the Bible. They're, they're praying. But are they really listening with spiritual ears because if they were would we be in the shape we're in if we were really listening and i say we i mean all of us as believers and all of our churches so here jesus reveals himself as the all-seeing all-knowing lord who is condemning 
of those things in the churches that he finds repulsive and commending of those things in the church that he finds commendable or that the churches are doing well. And so here we see Jesus is always in authority. Secondly, I want you to notice uh, another lesson. That is that some churches face condemnation without commendation. There are some churches. Jesus talked to seven churches here. And of the seven churches, two of them, Smire and this church, I believe it's Smire, uh, uh, and this church are the ones who uh, he found no good thing to talk about. He just went straight into the condemnation or to the rebuke, straight into it. And so there are some churches that face the condemnation of Christ without anything good to say. And, and I would ask the question, because I try to find good things in any situation. I've, I've learned to, to try to be a, a win-win person as, as much as possible. And so in many of these churches, Jesus would say, you have this going for you, you have that going for you, you're doing this and you're doing that. And then he would say, but I have this against you. And then he would share a word of rebuke with them. Well, here in this church, one of only two, no words, no, 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 you're, no, nothing that says you're doing this good and this well and you're succeeding over here, straight to the condemnation of this church. He says in verse 15, I know your works. In every church that Jesus spoke to there in the book of Revelation, he says, I know your works. In every church of every generation, including this church, Jesus says to us, I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know your church constitution better than you do. I know your Wednesday night program better than you do. I know what you have going on on Sunday morning better than the, the most informed person in your church. He says, not only do I know what's happening on the schedule, I know what's happening in the room, and I know what's happening in the heart. He knows these things. And so he says, you, the church in Laodicea, you're neither cold nor hot would or I wish that you were either cold or hot. I wish that you were one or the other. I wish that you were one extreme or the other. We'll find out in just a moment where, the, where Jesus gets his imagery from. But, but cold would represent not, not cold and icy cold and, and lifeless. It represents cool and refreshing. And hot represents healing. So I wish, Jesus, I wish you were either cool and refreshing to those in your midst, spiritually speaking, or I wish you were hot and on fire and bringing the gospel out. I wish you were one or the other, but you find yourself lukewarm. Lukewarm. And so he says, verse 16, a well-known verse in the Bible. Revelation 3.16. So because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, depending on your, your translation of the Bible, some translations, like I'm using the English Standard Version, some translations say, I will spit you out of my mouth. Others translate the same word as spew. I will spew you out of my mouth. The most literal translation we can make from the Greek language in which this was written in, Jesus is saying this, I will, now excuse my English, this is just a translation from the Greek, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's what it literally says. And, and, and the picture is, is this, if, if you, you know what it's like perhaps to drink on a hot day, like today, today's, today's a hot day, Al's hair is curling, both of them. <laughs> on a hot day, you know what it's like to drink nice, cool, refreshing water. Doesn't that taste good? 
Likewise, on a, on a cool morning, or, or for some of you out here, even on a hot morning, you know what it's like to wake up in the morning and you get that first cup of coffee. Can I get an amen this morning? Right? How good that feels. But this is not talking about cool and refreshing or hot. It's talking about something, something that would churn your stomach. It's, it, it's a picture of perhaps being hot and sweaty like you've been out all day working in the yard or doing, doing some physical labor, and you're just, you're, just, you're, you're just famished. And you drink something in that is just lukewarm. And it gets in your stomach, and it just churns your stomach. And before you know it, it's coming back up, and it's coming out. Now, I'm not trying to be overly graphic. I'm trying to be exactly biblical. That's what the picture is. Jesus says, you have turned my stomach so much, like lukewarm water on a hot day, that I am literally vomiting you out of my mouth. Now, Laodicea, if you look on the map, Laodicea is located in close proximity to two other Towns. One is Hierapolis. Who remembers Hierapolis? Raise your hand. Nobody? Okay, thank you. Our scholar over here, Ron, thank you. And the other town it's located close to is Colossae. And that may ring a bell because in the Bible, a letter was written by Paul to the church at Colossae, and our New Testament is called Colossians. And so, uh, so, so there's these three towns close together. The thing about Hierapolis, for, for it had thermal hot springs in its area. And so people would go there for the healing of the hot springs. It's like, like nature's hot tub. So people with ailments of all kinds, they'd go to Hierapolis, they'd check into the Hierapolis spa, they would go out and they would sit by the pool and get the steam treatment on their face, they would sit down in the water, and, 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 and it was a, a warm, healing place, Hierapolis. Colossae, on the other hand, had cool, pure springs of water. And so they were well known for their cool water. And so, so, so that was a, a good thing there. And also in that same proximity is Laodicea. And they were known not for hot water, not for cold water, but for lukewarm, tepid water that people just did not like to drink. And so uh, there, uh, that water, it, it is said, could make your stomach churn and it could come back up once you get it down. And so Jesus is using here the imagery of the local landscape that everybody knew about in order to convey his message to the church there in Laodicea. According to our own International Mission Board, it says this, The churches in Hierapolis, Colossae, and Laodicea were relatively close and seemed to have a relationship with one another. Paul wrote in his letter to the Colossians that it be read also in Laodicea. And he was encouraged by their strong faith in Christ. Colossians 2.5 refers to the strong faith of the church in Laodicea. And then, according to our International Mission Board, it says this, Something seems to have changed, however, in the 30 years after Paul's letter, when John penned the book of Revelation. So in other words, in, in, in the early days, the church at Laodicea seemed to be a thriving church. Paul wrote to, to Colossae, he said, listen, read this letter over in Laodicea too, because they're doing really good over in Laodicea. And now 30 years later, when Jesus is speaking through John in the book of Revelation about the church at Laodicea, we get this message of lukewarmness. What could have happened? According to the, uh, the IMB, they, they say this, wealth and independence had weakened their commitment to Christ. 
You see, Laodicea was known as a wealthy city in addition to the water condition there. A very wealthy city. And, and as theologians and as historians go back and look and see what happened here, what happened with this business, why did the town go out of business, what, what's going on here, there, and yonder, what about the church? They're, they're putting two and two together, and they're saying that because of wealth, because of opulence, because of, of all the, the ease of life and all the things that were going on, it perhaps and most likely and looks like the fact that, that the church got wrapped up in wealth and the church got wrapped up in the ease of life and they got wrapped up in the, in the independence of their living and they simply stepped away from their faith in Christ. Now, I want to read this again because I want to make a point. It says, wealth and independence had weakened their commitment to Christ. Now, I want to back up and say it this way. Fill in the blank for the church at Laodicea. And you can also fill in the blank for the church at Ridgecrest or the church in Durham or the church in Virginia or a church in Nevada. Any church, anywhere, anytime. You could fill in these blanks. This and that weakened their commitment to Christ. And in the case of Laodicea, it was wealth and independence. In another place, it might be pressure from the government. In another place, it might be pressure from culture and society. In another place, it might be that the, the, the recreation teams in the area. In another place, it might be because of jobs and, and, and schedules. In another place, it might be because of education opportunities. You name it, any number of things could be filled in that blank and applied not only to Laodicea, but also to us. If we're not careful, we could say, we, we could say education and, and health issues weakened our commitment to Christ. Job opportunities and, and recreational opportunities weakened our commitment to Christ. Our bank accounts and our, and, our, and our going to the lake weakened our faith in Christ. And notice, none of these things in and of themselves are wrong or bad. Wealth and independence are not bad things. They were just simply the things that pulled the church away from Christ. Anything that is a good thing can become a bad thing if it pulls you away from your commitment to Christ. Third lesson. Some churches are fooling themselves. There are some churches out there that are fooling themselves. And, 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 and so we see here in verse 17 this self-evaluation. Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, you say this about yourself. And here we have a clear case of what I'm calling, and be sure to attribute this to me out in the community, Laodicea. A clear case of Laodicea. Here's what it is. Jesus says to the church, you say this about yourself. You say, I'm rich. You say, I've prospered. And you say, I need nothing. That's what the church was saying. That's what they were saying, either by their words or by their actions, by, by, by their behavior. Whatever it was, the church was saying, we are rich, we have prospered, and we need nothing. They might be, perhaps, if, if, if we're talking about a church like Ridgecrest, we might say, well, well look around. We've got, we've got a good number of people here this morning. Even on a 4th of July weekend, we've got a good number of folks here. And in our next service, we'll have a good number of folks out in the gym. We've got cars in the parking lot. We're going to take up an offering, and the offering in the bulletin, it looks like we're doing okay there. And we've got programs. Oh, have, have we got programs? Folks, let me ask, have we got programs at Ridgecrest Baptist Church? Yeah. 
Let me tell you about some programs. We've, we've got preschool programs. Can I get an amen to that? We've got children's programs. Can I get an amen to that? Holly is wearing her children's camp t-shirt this morning. Holly, just stand up and show by your t-shirt. Can we do that this morning? <laughs> Blueprint is the name of it. So Holly just got back along with a busload of kids from children's camp last week. We've got that going on. We've got coming up. We've got vacation Bible school coming up. Amen. amen? If you want to see a treat at vacation Bible school, you just come watch Al lead music. <laughs> it is a sight to behold. If you work in Bible school and you say, say amen if you've seen it. Amen. It is a blessing. Have we got program? Have we got senior adult programs? Rodney, have we got senior adult programs around here? Have we got adult programs? Have, have, have we got, we are, the, we are the church of programs. Amen. amen. <laughs> we could, we, you know, I could go places where pastors gather. And I could stand up and I could say, well, you know, you tell me about your church, you tell me about your church, you tell me about your church. Well, let me tell you about Ridgecrest. And we could put a lot of churches to shame talking about those things. Bobby mentioned earlier, and I've seen this, as I told you, since I was a teenager, the pastors at Ridgecrest tend to stay, either because they're effective and God is using them, or you just can't run them off. And I'm going to take the first one as, as, action, <laughs> as the truth. One way or the other. Our pastors stay. Our, our church stays strong. And our missions involved and our giving, all those things are strong. We could compare ourselves to other churches and we could say, well, look, compared to everybody else, we are rich and we are prospering and we don't need anything. And that would be our greatest downfall the moment that ever comes out of any of our mouths. That is the, the caricature, the illustration, and the picture of what I'm calling, what's my word? Laodicea. Because, see, their self-evaluation led them to say those three things. But then Jesus gives them his evaluation. Guess which one carries the most weight? Jesus says, you don't realize. You say this, and you don't realize that. What is that? You don't realize you are wretched. Well, wait a minute. We just, we're rich. No. You're wretched. Look at our offering. Look at our, look at how we just, have you seen the cars in our parking lot? Have you seen the houses that some of us live in? We're rich. And Jesus says, no, you're wretched. And Jesus says, I'm not talking about your car. I'm not talking about your house. I'm not talking about your offering. He says, I'm not talking about your church facilities. I'm not talking about your programs. I'm not talking about your offering. I'm talking about your heart. Your heart. You see, with Jesus, the heart of the matter is always a matter of the heart. And Jesus says, you are wretched in my sight spiritually. You are pitiable. That's, a, that's another way of saying pitiful. You are pitiful. You, when I see you as a church, Jesus says, you evoke from me my pity. Because you've got it so wrong. Have you ever seen somebody or a situation? You just, you just, they're, they're, they're so messed up, so out of touch, so off base. You just have pity on them because they're so sorrowful. Jesus says, I have pity on you. He says, you call yourself rich because you look at your checking account. But spiritually, you're poor. You're bankrupt. There's nothing spiritually wealthy about you in any way, form, or fashion whatsoever. And you're blind. You don't even see what's going on. You look around physically and you see all the things that make you want to brag. But if you were to look around with spiritual eyes, you would see you are absolutely 
destitute. In fact, Jesus, the word here is naked or exposed. Your sinfulness, your wretchedness. All, Jesus is saying to them, it's all exposed to me. You might be pulling the, eye, the wool over everybody else's eyes, but you're not pulling the wool over my eyes. I see how things are. You've been exposed and you've been found in a terrible shape. You've heard it said before that you can fool all the people some of the time. And you can fool some of the people all the time. And you can even fool yourself. But you can never fool Jesus. And this church had fooled themselves into thinking they were just fine, just like they are. And, and their standard, just like our standard. Our standard is not the Southern Baptist Convention. Our standard is not what's happening in any other church around us in any way whatsoever. We are not in competition with anybody. Our standard is not ourselves. And our standard is certainly not our pastor. Do you know why that's not our standard? Because we will lie through our teeth and fool ourselves into thinking we're fine just like we are. That's why our standard is not us. That also is why our standard is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The faithful and true witness. That's how he identifies himself. When he speaks, he says, I'm speaking because I'm faithful. I'm speaking because I'm truthful. I'm speaking because this is the truth of the situation. And sometimes there's no need to sugarcoat what people need to hear. There's some people that walk in the doctor's office and the doctor tries to be, say it real nice up front and then, then kind of bring in the, the bad news and people only hear the first part and they don't hear the back part, the bad news. And here Jesus just says, here's... The situation there in your church. So, so that's the third, the third lesson. Some churches are fooling themselves. The fourth lesson is this. I love this lesson. Jesus offers a prescription for healing. How bad is it? Jesus, it's not so bad that Jesus can't make it good. It's not so far gone that Jesus can't bring it back. Even in a, a face of condemnation, Jesus offers hope and healing. And, and as bad as Laodicea sounds, Jesus can bring hope and healing. And so here in, in these words, Jesus uh, adapted his words and he, he adapted how he was speaking to them to address some things about them that they knew already, some, some local geographical realities. For example, they, they were known for being a wealthy city. They were known for producing this special kind of shiny black wool that was very, very sought after there. It was created there in, in Laodicea. And then they were known for a medicated eye salve. Those three things Historians will say stick out about ancient Laodicea in addition to the water. They were wealthy, they produced this wool, and they produced this isav. And Jesus used each of those to call the church to come back to himself. He says in verse 18, I counsel you. Now that I've revealed to you your circumstances, and you're sitting there thinking perhaps, well, we're shot, we're done, it's over, we're going to close the door. Jesus, here's my counsel to you. Here's my words of wisdom. Here's what you can do. And he offers them three things. He offers them spiritual wealth as opposed to their physical wealth. In verse 18, he speaks of, I counsel you, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. 
Laodicea is said to have had gold everywhere, on the buildings, in the jewelry, on their clothing, gold everywhere. And so Jesus is saying, the gold I offer you, the wealth I offer you is not that gold, but a, but a spiritual wealth, a spiritual gold that has, been, that has gone through the fire and has been refined purely in a spiritual sense. You see, listen, there's nothing wrong with, with material wealth in and of itself. There's no condemnation anywhere in the Scripture of somebody being wealthy. There's ultimate, there's, there's all kind of condemnation for people who are so attached to their wealth that they're detached from our Lord Jesus. That's, that's a problem. But wealth itself is not a problem in the Scripture. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Maybe spiritually rich instead of physically rich. But it could have also been spiritually rich in addition to being physically rich. You see, it's not a question of how much gold we have. Gold is, gold is not the problem. It's not a matter of how much gold you have or how much gold I have. Here's the problem, or really the question. Not how much gold do I have, but how much of me does my gold have? See, that's where, that's where the problem hits. And if my gold has me, then it's going to pull me away from my Savior, Jesus. If Jesus has me, then whatever gold I have in my possession is just simply another tool for Him to use me to be a blessing or to carry out His purpose or to further His kingdom through my life. Huge difference right there. But not only does He offer spiritual wealth, notice in verse 18 He also offers forgiveness. That's such a beautiful word, forgiveness. In verse 18 He says, I counsel you to buy from me white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. See, in Laodicea, they produce this shiny black wool that here Jesus is using, no doubt, as a symbol for their, for their sinfulness. The, the blackness is, is a picture in Scripture of, of sinfulness. So, so their sin has been exposed and Jesus is saying, I will buy from me white garments that will cover your sin. Buy from me white garments that, that will wash you white as snow. Just like the other week we talked about the church where Jesus said, I will give you a white stone that, that indicates innocence. And Jesus offers the church here forgiveness. The one who sees everything and knows everything he sees past our outward appearances where we fool others often and we even fool ourselves sometimes. He sees past all of that and he says the, the, the issue is you need your sins forgiven. You need to stop playing church and stop playing good person and stop playing Christian and recognize that the, the, the core of the matter is that you need forgiveness of your sins and Jesus says, I'm the one who can forgive your sins. Then thirdly, notice, Jesus offers healing. He says, I counsel you to buy from me salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. I don't, I don't know what the salve was like there in Laodicea, but, <clears throat> but it was evidently had, had some medicinal qualities and it would help people with their eyes. And Jesus says that even though you may, this, this salve from Laodicea may help you with your eyes, the problem is you've got spiritual blindness and there's no external salve that will help you with your spiritual blindness. But Jesus says, you come to me. <clears throat> he says, you come to me and I will bring healing for your spiritual blindness. Notice a couple of things here. One is in verse 19, Jesus offers discipline as proof of his love. I love that and I hate it at the same time. 
Jesus offers discipline as a proof of his love. He says, those whom I love, I I reprove and discipline. Those whom I love. If, if, if Jesus is saying, if I didn't love you, I would not come to you. If I didn't love you, I would not rebuke you. If I didn't love you and want you to come back to me, I would leave you alone. And the fact that I'm here speaking to you, the fact that I am investing in you, the fact that I'm sending you this message is proof that I love you, Jesus says. Like a loving parent to a child. You, you have kids or you remember uh, when your kids were young and and, and sometimes you just have to discipline those kids to keep them from crossing a line. Not because you hate them, not because you, you, you want to throw them out, but because you love them and you want to pull them in and you want them to grow and to prosper and to do the right things. So you discipline them. And in the moment it may be painful, especially to certain parts of the body, if you know what I'm saying. But the long term can be the blessing of learning those lessons. But also notice this, with Jesus, it's never too late. It's never too late when we hear his word and know his spirit and know what he's calling us to do. When we die, it's too late. There, there, are, certain, there are certain times when, when we, we, we no longer hear the voice of our Lord because we've built up such a wall that we can no longer hear him. And it may be too late then, but if you can hear his voice, then it's not too late. Notice what Jesus says. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. And he says, so, so be zealous and repent. The same message he gives to the churches. Turn away from what you're doing that's wrong and start doing what you know is right. Turn away, repent. And he says, do it zealously. Ze- to be zealous means to be passionate, to be urgent, to be, to be on time, to make it a priority. Don't just put it on as something here to think about in weeks to come. You make it a priority right now because it is that urgent in your life. This, this need for you to repent, Jesus is saying to this church, he says, you're on your last legs and you may be shut down, but you have hope and while you can. While you can, make it a priority. Be passionate about it. Don't turn to the left or to the right. Repent and do it now. This church, there's a comical picture here. Revelation 3.20. Many of us know this Bible verse. If you notice the context here, it is is both sad and, 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 and disheartening, and it's a little bit comical. If you imagine that at one time the church at Laodicea was here and Jesus is in the middle of the church and they're growing and they're prospering and they're reaching and Paul is saying, hey, send them my letter from the Colossae over to Laodicea because they're doing really good over there. But, but Jesus stayed right in the middle of the church, but the church moved away from Jesus. They moved away. And they and finally moved away so far and Jesus had stayed right there. The church had moved away. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says to the church, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. He said, you've run me out of church. You've gone and left me here. And here's Jesus on the outside of his own church knocking on the door to get back in. Hey, what about me? It's sad and tragic and comical all at the same time. Notice about Jesus. He does not force himself in. 
We use this Bible verse to talk to people who are not believers and to say, you know, Jesus doesn't force himself into your life or into your heart. He says, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. And if you'll open the door, I'll come in. If you open the door, I'll come in not only to, to, to step in, but I will sup with you. I'll eat with you. And that's a picture of, of intimate relationships. It's a picture of, of, of dwelling together. It's a picture of friendship. It's a picture of fellowship. Jesus is saying to the church, even though you've moved and locked me out, I'm knocking on the door. And if you'll just open the door, I'll be glad to come back in and we'll reestablish those relationships. With Jesus, it's never too late as long as there is hope and as long as there is time. One last thing. Jesus calls you and I to respond. That's the last lesson. He calls us to respond. Notice in verse number 22, Jesus says, as he says to all the churches, he who has an ear, he who's listening, if, if you're listening to the voice of Jesus, Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you have an ear, listen to what's being said. Don't, don't harden your heart. Don't cut off your ears. I know this is never true for anybody in this room right now. Don't make it bounce off your head because your head's so hard. There's no hard heads in here, is it? But just remember, we can fool ourselves. Don't let it bounce off. See, there are many people who are fooling themselves, and because of that, they're living in danger. They're fooling themselves about their use of, of alcohol or drugs, things that are ravaging their body and destroying their livelihood and tearing their families apart. But inside, they're saying, oh, it's okay. I'm only, if I'm hurting anybody, it's just myself. They're in great danger. There are other people that are using illegal tactics and, and practices in their business or in their taxes or in their finances and they're, 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 they're doing this over here and, and, and this over here, they're shady deals and, and they're, they're living dangerously. They're fooling themselves into thinking it's all going to be okay in the end when in the end it never is. There are people that are fooling themselves about their health. I don't know if you've ever watched on TV one of the most intriguing and sad shows on TV, My 600-Pound Life. You ever seen that show? And there are people that literally, the doctor says, in 45 days, you've got to lose 50 pounds. Like, whoa, whoa, how do you do that? And they come back in, and they've gained 10 pounds. Because they're fooling themselves into thinking, my doctor says this, and my mind says that, but I've got to do this. And they're living dangerously. There are people that are fooling themselves in spiritual matters. And they're saying, I'm fine like I am. I'm, 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 I'm good. I'm, I'm going to church. I'm putting some money in the plate. I'm, I'm wearing a T-shirt from camp. And, and I'm, 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 I'm holding a flag for Awanas. I'm, I'm good to go. And they're only fooling themselves. And I hope that's not you. But in a room this size, it may well be some, more than one in this room, spiritually just fooling yourself, thinking... Things are okay because you're sitting in a church pew or you're putting money in an offering plate or you're doing some kind of religious something. And that's not the case. Likewise, churches that are fooling themselves are also living in danger. They think things are fine when in that church what they're doing is literally making Jesus sick on his stomach. In the same way many Christians think everything is fine, but we're making Jesus sick on his stomach. Laodicea is not just a condition among the churches in the Bible. It's a condition that's been in the church since the days of the Bible. And it's rampant today. And every church would do well, every Christian would do well to allow the Lord to examine their heart, examine who they are, 
and to ask the question, Lord, tell me what I need to do. Because while this disease may be dangerous and it even may be terminal, there's hope. And Jesus, I want your hope in my life. I want your hope in this church. We want to be the church you've called us to be. You've been really awesome to listen to these messages, and I appreciate it so very much. I want to ask you at the end, what grade would you give to Ridgecrest Baptist Church? Don't say it out loud. What grade would you give to Ridgecrest Baptist Church based on what we've done with these seven churches over the last several weeks? And before you say it or think it or get there, let me just say this. It really doesn't matter what your grade is. It doesn't matter what your grade is. It doesn't matter what my grade is for Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Jesus makes it perfectly clear that among those churches, it doesn't matter what they think of themselves. It only matters what Jesus thinks of them. The only person's opinion that matters about this church is our Savior. And I want to ask you right now to bow your head and close your eyes and pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we recognize today that it is so easy as individuals to fool ourselves Help us not to be guilty in a spiritual sense of fooling ourselves into thinking everything is just fine when inside, Lord, our, we're, we're spiritually pitiful. Lord, also we pray that we would not just simply be thinking everything is fine at Ridgecrest Baptist Church because of this activity or this program or this number, but that, Lord, we would recognize our true spiritual condition as a church because we're looking to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would examine us and that you would compel us and that you would find us willing and eager to respond to you. Help us, Lord, not to have a hard heart, not to to have a hard head, but with a willing spirit to do whatever it is you're calling us to do. For someone here today that's never trusted Christ as Savior, We pray that today will be the day of salvation. They would say, Lord, I'm I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and you're the Savior who saves sinners. And I call you and I invite you into my heart today. Lord, may that be so. There'll be someone here who is a believer, and they recognize today they've just been going through these religious motions, thinking outwardly everything's fine, but Lord, you spoke to them this morning, and they now know that there's some things inwardly that are making you sick. May that person... Be zealous and quick and eager and prioritize a repentant attitude towards you of whatever that would be. And may your spirit move. May we as a church be known for our response to our Savior more than anything else that could be said about us as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.